Hi, y'all. It's Angela, and thank you so much for joining me for another episode of Business Unveiled. And today I'm so excited to have one of my awesome friends on here that I've known for several years through the Entrepreneur Organization. And I know you guys may be thinking, like, what is this EO thing and who are all these amazing women? But we have some of the most amazing tools by working together because it's like we all have grown and we all have been through a lot of the same challenges. And so that's one of the reasons that I want to share these amazing women with you all. So today's amazing women is the founder of Uncle Classic Barbershop. Her name is Amy Tanksley. And Amy, thank you so much for being here today. Oh my gosh. I'm so excited. Thank you, Angela. I am thrilled. Yay. We were just chatting before and she's like, this is the highlight of my day. I'm like, oh, that makes me feel so good. Yay. <laughs> yes. And really, I just want you to share. Like, it's not like a hard thing. Some people get on here and they're like, oh my God, I'm nervous. I'm like, don't be nervous. Like, we're just talking to like girls like us. <laughs> well, I think you said it too, is just being completely authentic and transparent. And so I feel this is, this is good. This is a nice, safe space. I can do that. Absolutely. There's no judgment here. Everybody that listens, they know that I'm just super transparent. And really like the main reason that as I've gotten to know Amy and her awesome husband over the years, um, we'll be like sitting at dinner at a board meeting or something. And we're like, Oh my God, you went through that too. Oh my God. Like growing your business can be painful, but there's a lot of rewards as well. And so Amy is one of the, again, few women that I know who are like, I failed at this, I failed at this, but there is an importance of resilience. And I love that you want to share that today. Welcome to Business Unveiled, the podcast designed to help you thrive in the creative community. Here's your host, events and productivity consultant, Angela Profit. Hi, y'all. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of Business Unveiled, expert tips and secrets from top creative industry professionals, where we take you behind the scenes of our past experiences in the creative industry and share with you what we have learned from them and how they have made us stronger. This podcast will help you grow a productive and profitable business to launch you into success within the creative industry. Today's podcast is brought to you by Vlog Easy. That is V as in victory. Vlog Easy is an app in the iTunes store for iPhones that help you make content videos as well as vlogging on the go to share with your audience. It has absolutely transformed the way that I do video and communicate with my audience. If you are looking for an app that allows you to edit on the go, or if you simply don't know how to edit videos, this app allows you to do just that. You can record yourself in a quiet room. You don't have to remember what to say. You can simply look at your notes, and each time you're quiet and you pause, the Vlog Easy app takes all of those quiet moments out and edits everything together. It's like magic, and it saves so much much 
time. Vlog Easy allows you to record in vertical or horizontal formatting. You can import existing videos that live on your phone into the app and so much more. Vlog Easy Pro gives you the unlimited cloud backup as well as removing the watermark. Give it a try for free today. The link is bit.ly B-I-T dot L-Y slash vlog easy in all caps vlog easy is case sensitive so be sure that you've got that caps lock on and you're putting in vlog easy in all uppercase v is in victor l-o-g-e-a-s-y give it a try but before we jump into the whole business journey Tell us a little bit about your background. Where did you grow up? How did you grow up? And bring us up until you're like, I'm going to open my own business. Like, how did that happen? Yeah, that's a, it's exciting. Um, so yeah, so I'm originally from Omaha, Nebraska. Uh, my family is from central Nebraska. Uh, so pretty remote, right? Kind of, you know, not in an epicenter of anything um, cool, hip, or entrepreneurial, that's for sure. <laughs> um, I grew up in a family of sort of professionals. So um, doctors, lawyers, um, lots of emphasis on education, lots of emphasis on lots of education, um, and less emphasis on risk. Um, in fact, you know, in my family, risk is a four-letter word, right? But it's a four-letter word that sort of gets coupled with all the other four-letter words. Um, and so, you know, going into business or being in a business or starting a business wasn't something that was ever talked about at my house. Me either, um, girl. Yeah, you, you know, I, I mean, I feel really jealous of my friends who grew up in entrepreneurial households where they talked about those things because that was not my house. My house was very, you know, follow the rules and study really hard and, you know, follow sort of their traditional education path, corporate path. Um, and that is sort of what I thought was normal. And so I, yeah, like I said, I grew up in Omaha. I, around very traditional businesses, right? The businesses that are still thriving in Omaha are, you know, insurance and, you know, food products, you know, nothing kind of tech, uh, starting to now, but not when I was growing up. Yeah. So I left Omaha to go to school, to go to college at the University of Texas, um, in Austin, which is, which is all the other things, right? Which is cool and sexy and has this energy. Mm-hmm. And I think for me, that's what attracted me to the city of Austin was this creativity, right? Artists, musicians, big school, lots of new ideas, people coming from all over the world um, to the melting pot that Austin was and that Austin is. Um, And I studied finance. Yay, right? Really? You didn't know that? Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. But that makes sense. Like why you're such a badass business owner now. Well, I don't know about that. I mean, my first day of college, Angela, I was in a class and, you know, I, I was in bit like general business, you know, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. Um, I knew I didn't want to be a doctor. How about that? That was sort of my <laughs> only college aspiration was to avoid medical school. Um, just because I'd watched, you know, my family sort of in my uncles and my own father who were not passionate about what they did necessarily. Some of them are, some of them aren't. I wanted to really love what I, what I did. Um, but on my first day of college, you'll love this. We had to go around the room, you know, really intimidating on your first day and tell everyone what we wanted to be when we grow up. 
Oh my God. I mean, who knows that, right? So Seriously. we went around the room and, and clearly everyone in the room had grown up in those business families. Oh. Um, and so the gentleman sitting next to me, um, whose name is Tanmay Desai, and he's probably a multi-bajillionaire somewhere, <laughs> stood up. I'll never forget it. And he was like, I'm going to be an investment banker. And I was like, I don't, I don't know what that is. Right. So I spent the next four years crunching numbers with my head down, getting really good at Excel spreadsheets, um, interviewing with large corporate entities. Um, and after college or during college, I got a job, you know, in the exciting world of oil and gas. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. I did not know this. <laughs> you did, yeah. <laughs> Most people are like, you did what? Yeah. Um, so yeah. So my senior year of college, I love telling this story because people who are old enough are like, really? I went to final round interview to be an analyst, right? A number cruncher with Enron. And Enron was a really big deal and they were in Houston and I was so excited. And they called me a couple days before my interview to let me know that I didn't need to come to Houston, that they'd canceled my interview. Oh. And okay. I was sort and I was honest I asked him I'm like well are you canceling my interview or uh -huh. are you canceling everyone's interview because my friends are going too and I just need to know what my messaging to them is right and the folks at Enron of course by this point was all over the news and they're like yeah we're not real sure that we're going to be hiring anyone like <gasps> ever. what happened they went to the Supreme Court they were doing all sorts of fraudulent everything oh. and the whole company imploded um, so you dodged a bullet. <laughs> well, kind of. So yeah. So yeah. Well, yeah. In that regard. But then I went to work for another oil and gas company, which I won't oh. name. Um, yeah, I was hell bent, like apparently, on learning about pipelines and natural gas. Um, and so I went to work at a different company. And three months into my first job, I was pulled into a conference room, and it turned out that the company that I had gone to work for was also doing a bunch of stuff that they shouldn't have been doing. Oh shit. And the Federal Trade Commission and the SEC had set up shop and people stopped coming to work because they were all going to be investigated and many of them went to jail. And so I had a job and then I lost a job and they let all of us go. Um, wow. So I'm living in Houston. I have no family there. I don't have a job anymore. I have an apartment lease for a year and I'm not real sure, Angela, you know, I'm stubborn that I'm ready to go back to Nebraska. <laughs> I was like, wait a minute, I just no. got started doing this. Like, what is going on? And so it was a really, really good life lesson for me because my whole life, it's, it was sort of prescriptive as if you work really hard and you do what you're supposed to do, all these good things will happen. Yep. And I had done what I was supposed to do. I'd studied really hard. I had worked really hard. I'd gone to work at this very stable, you know, stable, right? Because risk is a four-letter word. Right. Stable, publicly traded utility energy company. And it turned out that that was not the truth, right? right. That life doesn't work that way. And I'm right. really glad looking back that at 22, that was a lesson I learned right away. Oh, um, yeah. Yeah. So I was broke and <laughs> I didn't have a job. And all my friends had just started their jobs because I had gone to work first. And so I was living in Houston and I didn't know what to do. And I knew I couldn't shop because I'm a really good shopper. But again, I have no money. No money. <laughs> and, no, and no friends because my friends were all at work. And so I started, you know, just really my, my job was interviewing and networking. And I got a job in Nashville, Tennessee at, you know, hold your breath, 
an insurance company. And all, and all along, <laughs> yeah, yeah, at an insurance company. I mean, you know, one really sexy, creative industry to another. And all along, you know, I'd had this passion for health and beauty. I was always the kid in high school with the biggest caboodle, and I'm dating myself, but you know what that is. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, I would lug around six caboodles that were full. You know, every time I go to the CVS or the Walgreens, you know, going to the new makeup section is just what you do. Why would yeah. you, why would you not, you know, who wants to miss the new thing? Um, and I grew up in a, in a family, I will say, you know, where feeling good about yourself also meant looking good, you know, feeling like yep. you were taking care of yourself, whether that was hair or makeup or your clothing. Um, you know, I told a story a couple of weeks ago that the woman next to us when I was very young sold Avon and oh. Sandy. Sandy was a total babe and I got all the leftover samples when I was like five or six. So that would have been, you know, that's cool. Early eighties, which meant I had some bomb teal eyeshadow Uh and purple lipstick, but I rocked it and I felt (laughs) confident and I felt cool. And it's just a testament, you know, to what I always felt was when you look good, you feel good. And, you know, clearly the oil and gas business and the insurance business didn't check any of those sort of passions that I had maybe outside of work. But I enjoyed working at the insurance company because it was very, it was a startup. It was very entrepreneurial. It was very fast moving. And so I learned a lot about that environment and Mm -hmm. feeling like you were impacting big decisions at a young age, which I hadn't had in the oil and gas industry because again, it was a massive company publicly traded, you know, kind of on the treadmill, so to speak. Mm-hmm. But at the startup, you know, we had a lot of fun. We laughed a lot. We, you know, made a lot of mistakes. Um, I got a lot of exposure very, very, at a very young age. And that's where I met my husband. Um, mm-hmm. working at this really sexy insurance company. <laughs> and on our first date, which we weren't supposed to be on, right? Because we worked together and we were friends. And I think I've told you I tried to set him up with all uh-huh. of Uh-huh. And they were like, oh, yeah, he likes, he likes you. So on our first date, he told me he wanted to open a barbershop. And I was like, that is so dumb. Who, what are you talking about? Right. We, I'm a finance person. I crunch numbers and we work at an insurance company. Why would you want to do that? Mm-hmm. And so probably like many of you listening, right. You see sort of, you know, this opportunity, I guess. And I wanted to learn more about it. So I had grown up. Like I said, I, you know, I had a younger sister. And so we went to the beauty parlor with my mom. Oh. You know, blonde, perms. Uh-huh. Um, Aquanet. Oh, I'm, there is a hole above my mom's <laughs> house to this day where the Aquanet destroyed the ozone for sure. Oh, my God. Um, and so that was always a really enjoyable experience, right? People go to the salon and the spa to feel better about themselves. Yeah. And it was always a highlight for me growing up something you look forward to. Yeah. And for my husband going to get his haircut was like this horrible 20 minutes of his life. He was never going to get back. <laughs> and I was like, why is it so bad? Cause I, you know, I didn't go to my, with my dad to get his haircut. I had no idea what his experience was like. Yep. So I started going with Kirk, my husband, and I realized, you know, his options were to go to a very traditional sort of salon that I liked, but was not for a, a professional man. 
you know, mm-hmm. with all the ladies magazines and, you know, men are, I learned are very sensitive to hair color, the smells of hair color. Oh. You know, you and I are clearly not. It's just right. part of our, you know, DNA. It's been soaking in our veins for a long time. Yep. And so, you know, and the other option was to go to traditional barbershops, which at that point were really sort of regulated to the outskirts of town and you couldn't make an appointment. Um, and I hate to say this, but a lot of them are really dirty, yeah. like really dirty. No one has stopped to clean in many, many years. Yeah. Or he would go to one of the franchises and the franchises, you know, had outdated magazines. I mean, I think I picked up a People magazine that was three or four years old and it was like crusty because it had clearly gotten wet and it was just, it was nasty. And I'm like, oh, this, this is horrible. Like clearly this could be better. Yeah. And so probably like you and, you know, your listeners, right. You sort of see this hole and I didn't know anything about the business, but it was worth a gamble, I suppose. So we, I was planning on going back to business school, you know, because why not have more school? Again, that was how I was wired, you know, it was more school is better. And so there was the amount of money that it was going to take to send me to go get an MBA was the same amount of money that it was going to take to open a business. And so, you know, why the hell not, Angela? I'm 28. I don't know anything. Why not open a business? So, yeah, I mean, talk about it. I mean, looking back, it was the, probably the worst idea ever. I mean, my friends let me down. My grandparents called and told me I was making a huge mistake. My parents had to sit down at their house. My friends did too. And they were like, are you really sure this is a good idea? Why are you doing this? Have you ever Yes. I don't know if you've had that experience too. Oh my God, yes. And so I was like, well, I guess if enough people tell you no, which is another thing I've learned, if enough people think you're doing something terrible or stupid or is never going to work. It, it might just actually work because no one else is doing it. Right. Yeah. If everybody, if everybody's right. doing it, it's already done. It's not an opportunity. So if no one is doing it, maybe it is an opportunity. So we took a second mortgage on our house, right? That's humbling. And wow. right. Cause we didn't have any money and we didn't have any, you know, so we had assets, we had a house and the bank was like, sure, we'll take your house. That's no problem. Wait, Nana, did you had kids yet? No, no, okay. I didn't have any kids. Um, okay. Yeah, I was 28 years old when our, when the business opened. So, gotcha. Um, no, so no. how did so? Okay, so that's how you got into the beauty industry is because your husband's experience, right? Like, I guess. I mean, yeah. You know, my passion was always and better. Still is. I mean, right. my passion is definitely the things that I like to read about are hair and makeup, not men's hair. But I found, Angela, and I don't know if you get this in your business too, that making people feel better about themselves Mm -hmm. is so completely rewarding and not in a superficial sort of way, but in a sort of reaffirming sort of way. And so I have learned, right, that even though, and it's probably better because I don't spend every dollar I have on hair and makeup, but I am so completely rewarded by what I do because I get to impact people's lives and yeah. I get to impact their community. And so that's been the trade-off. So yeah, we opened a barbershop in 2008 with a second mortgage on our house. And three weeks later, the economy crashed. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. 2008, October, 2008. Um, and it was like, what do we do now? Right. We have all this money spent. I mean, the lease was signed, the furniture was was purchased. And so I think, you know, from there, right, and I like telling this story because it's like there was nowhere to go but up. Yeah. And we couldn't quit. 
we couldn't quit. So we had to turn the TVs on cars and sports and not on the election because it was also in the middle of the Obama McCain election, which was, you know, very controversial in our neck of the woods. Yeah. And a lot of people had a lot of opinions on both sides and we couldn't talk politics because that wasn't going to make anybody happy. <laughs> and we just, I mean, it was day to day, right? It was one haircut at a time. It was one transaction at a time. It was one customer at a time. And it was just hard work. And it was, and it's been hard work ever since, but it's been really rewarding. So that's sort of where I come from and where this crazy thing sort of birthed itself. Oh my gosh. Like, so your first location, how did you go to school to cut hair or did you hire people and you just decided to like, you were going to run the business? Yeah, I don't cut hair. And I'm waiting for them to give me an honorary license because at this point I know I've put in, <laughs> I've put in all the hours. I promise. After 11 years of doing this, I I feel like, but I but to be truthful, I don't think I'd be very good at it, right? <laughs> so and I tell that to people, I'm like, look, I think everybody should do what they're good at, right? Like, this whole strength finder thing, I am a big fan of because it it used to be, you know, that you needed to work on all the things that you weren't good at, right? And, I don't know that I subscribe to that anymore. So I think I'm good at running a business. I don't right. think I'd be good actually cutting hair. So yeah, I, I started hiring people. I hired a lot of good people. I hired a lot of the wrong people, a lot of them. Um, just because I didn't know, you know, at 28 years old, I'd never hired anyone. I had never fired anyone. I didn't know what the hell I was doing. And so I made a lot of mistakes. So how, what did that look like? Like your first year of business, I assume because you were really good at spreadsheets and numbers that you knew, did you know going into it, like how to make a profit as a business owner or was that something you learned too? No, I did. No, I did a lot of pre-work, right? So, so yeah. So, you know, the good news is before we ever opened the doors, I had all the performers and the numbers done. So I knew exactly what we needed to do in order to make money. Um, or at least pay the bills, right? So step one, you know, just cover your costs. And step two, you know, is there anything left over at the end of the day? So I felt really confident that our business model was sound. And I think that enabled me to sleep, right? When everything else was not what was expected, you know, because you do a business plan, or at least I did a business plan, and I found it to be a really cathartic exercise. And I'm a huge huge fan of business plans. As old-fashioned as they are, I think they're a really great way for you to put your ideas about your business on paper. Yeah. And clearly on paper, right? Because it can't be a 45-page document. So you have to really edit. And for mm -hmm. me, the two most important things in my business plan were the numbers, like you said, right? Yep. Does your business have the opportunity to actually make money? Which I was shocked to find years later, most business owners have no clue. They don't. Um, and so that was eye-opening to me when I did Catalyst, and we can talk about that, you know, sort of sitting down with people who hadn't baked through, you know, costs and expenses and actual revenue. Mm -hmm. um, and then the second thing I find really important about a business plan is writing down a section about what you're not going to do. So I think as a new business, and I don't know if you can relate to this when you got started, you get distracted by a lot of things and a lot of ways that you might be able to make money. And when you're new and you don't have any money, it's very easy to say yes to everything because 
if someone's going to pay you, why not? But I think if you write down what you're not going to do and you hold true to that and you hold true to what you are going to do, you actually have a business. Yeah. But by saying yes to everything, I think it really dilutes your business plan and your purpose. And I see a lot of young business owners, I don't want to say make that mistake, but try that method. Yeah. Um, because they don't really know what it is that they do want to do. So they do a little bit of everything. But as you know, I haven't found too many businesses that are all things to all people. Nope. Nope. So you, it sounds like you had a really clear vision though of like, this is the business we want. This is the experience we want to create. I don't know. Did social media, was that like a way of marketing for you when you first opened your doors? Well, that was market. So Facebook was still really, really new, really new, 2008, if I recall. And so we went really traditional with our advertising. I mean, literally like ads in the paper. Um, oh, God. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I don't even remember that. Yeah, like, you know, clearly, I mean, to the point of let's, let's really stereotype my customer and he is a dude and he likes sports. And so clearly we're going to put an ad in the Tennessean in the sports section. And then we learned, yeah, we had a couple families drive in from Dixon, which for your viewers is like an hour away from my first shop. So they came in once. It was a really good lesson, right? They came in once, they got a haircut, and we never saw them again. Because other than some women I know and some men that I've met over the years, very few people drive an hour each way to get their haircut. You know, for most men, it is a convenience. Convenience is a huge part of, of their selection process. Um, and so we learned very quickly because of that, that our marketing right now is really hyper local. We know that most of our clients don't are come from within a five mile radius and often closer. And so we really keep our marketing efforts very local and very traditional, right? We support your little league team and we support your churches um, because we're a brick and mortar business Yeah, and because we know our clients, you know, referrals are still our number one source of new clients. It's all referral based. So I know now like you have multiple locations. And so talk us through, I would say like your top failure in terms of you failed fast. Like when you went from that first location and you realized, okay, so we need to open another location because we are focused on serving hyper-focused on serving the local community and knowing you, did you do research in the growing zip codes on how your barbershop was going to stand out from the other like local barbershops? Like how do you choose that? And how did you know you were ready to grow? Yeah, that's a good question. So, so I wasn't ready to grow. Um, we were sort of, I don't want to say hunted down, but a real estate developer in town came to us and within a couple months of us being open, right? So a couple months of being open, the economy has crashed. We're in the middle of election. Amy and Kirk are completely out of money. I am working 14 hour days, seven days a week. I mean, literally was there open to close for four months, um, making sure I knew what was going on and it was time really well spent. But in the middle of this, someone approached us and said, you know, you've got to open up 
another location and I've got this center and you need to go here. And again, you know, it's funny how there's silver linings to everything. Yep. But in 2008, 2009, with the economy where it was, there weren't a lot of new businesses starting, especially in the retail side. So a lot of developers had a lot of space available that they needed to fill and the rates were not near where they are right now. And so I guess that's a silver lining of, of opening a business when the economy is not booming is that there was a lot of opportunity for us. And, you know, we talked about it and I said, you know, this is a space we will never get a second chance at. It is such a good space. It's such, it's in a great part of town. We know the market because it's not far from our first location, but far enough for it to have a completely different clientele. And we were honest with the developer. We were like, look, we don't, we're out of money and we don't even know if this is going to work. <laughs> and I swear to you, Angela, he co-signed a loan with us. Oh my gosh. That's amazing. And so it's, um, yeah. And so I, I quit asking questions about, you know, why or how I think, you know, when opportunities present themselves, right. And I, I think, you know, I talked to a lot of female business owners and, 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 and all business owners, right. Who, feel like they've got to have it all really perfect before they take the leap. And I can assure you nothing that I've ever done is perfect or complete before we jump, right? It's like 75% baked. Yep. Um, if I'm lucky, Yep. maybe 60, but sometimes you've just got to go for it. And so for the second location, that was just it, right? We were in no place. I didn't have any systems. I didn't have anything, but it was like, okay, we knew we had the opportunity to grow and we wrote the business plan. And now we've got the opportunity to do that right away in a space that is just totally incredible. And so we did it. And, you know, again, hindsight's twenty twenty. It was a really stupid idea, but I'm really glad we did it because it, well, it forced me to figure things out quickly, right? It forced me to get those systems in place and to start implementing things that I knew I needed to, but had been dragging my feet because I couldn't be in two places at once. Right. And so, you know, I think I, I jump sometimes too soon, but I almost do that on purpose so that I'm forced to, because I'm such a control freak, I'm forced <laughs> to give up control in order to keep up with the growth. <laughs> so like, so going back to the systems and you knew you needed to set that up if you were going to have mul multiple locations, um, I, where did you like Google it or like, yeah, did, uh, yeah, oh yeah. Is, like how did you find those systems and did you write it yourself? Oh yeah. I'm making all this stuff up. I mean, <laughs> you know, I laugh with my team now because you know, it's 11 years later. I'm not 28 anymore, which is good. Um, but sometimes I have to look at them and I'm like, y'all, you do know I've never done this before, right? <laughs> and they just kind of look at me and I'm like, yeah, in another life, I didn't open barbershops. So I am learning and growing and failing with you, but I don't, I don't know what the hell I'm doing. And as far as I can tell, like, I don't know anybody to call who's done this before either or at least has done what we want to do the way we want to do it. So, you know, that is the process that we have right now with my team, which is, you know, we work together to come up with what we think is a system that will work. And then we're very honest and transparent that nothing is set in stone and we are going to work crazy to fix it and make it work if, it, if it's not right the first time. 
So all of our systems, right, are literally like a rough draft. Everything is a rough draft of, I think this is going to work. And if we can avoid major catastrophe, we are clearly moving forward in the right direction. So do you think by being super transparent, like with your team and with your staff, like, do you think they respect you more because you're very open about what, like, you don't know what the, you know, I don't know what the hell I'm doing. <laughs> like, is, does that help with the relationship, do you think? Yeah, I think, you know, I have found that, you know, my employees want to know that when they come to work, they come to a safe place, right? They know the lights are going to come on. They know that their equipment is going to work and they know that they have a place to come every day where they can earn a living, right? Because mm-hmm. This isn't a hobby. This isn't a volunteer job. This is my business. And I employ now 50 plus people. And many of them are their own, like they're single moms. They are the breadwinners for their family. And this is really serious. And it's humbling as a business owner to know that I'm responsible for not only my employees, but many of their families as well. And so I think by being transparent and honest about my fears, we can work together through them right? So that they are not scared, right? That they know that I'm committed to making it work, that push come to shove. I always get paid last, right? My employees pay comes first mm-hmm. and making sure that there's money in the bank to pay them what they're owed. Every payday is priority one through 10 and everything else comes second. Um, means we have a good relationship, right? But I mean, I would also say, Angela, and you probably get this all the time too, but every day someone tells me how lucky I am. Like, oh, you've just been been so lucky. Like, no. And I've I've quit getting mad about it, but I've also quit laughing about it. And I stop and I look at these folks and I'm like, you don't have any idea how hard we all work. Mm-mm. And so I think the commitment to my team that they know that I'm going to work harder than any of them and that I'm not going to lie to them. And that even if I don't know an answer, we're going to work our fannies off to figure it out. There's yep. a lot of, tr- there's a lot of trust there. So I think the honesty and the transparency, you can't have good results unless there's also a lot of trust. Yep. And knowing that, right, that we're all, and I've told them, I'm like, look, we're going to succeed together or we're going to fail together. But if we are failing and it's not working, we can turn the ship around. Like, we don't have a corporate entity. There's no phone a friend. It's us. Right. So I now, you know, when I'm hiring people or promoting people, it's like, who do I want in the ditch with me? Because we're going to wind up in the ditch. Yeah. At some point, we're going to wind up in the ditch. And who do I want in my corner who's not afraid of picking up a shovel and digging out. Yeah. And not quitting, right? Because it's hard and I want people and my commitment to them is I'm going to shovel like hell. So, <laughs> I hope you will too. <laughs> like how so what processes have you used to find the right people? I'm trying to listen, Angela. Okay. So, I think I used to hear what people what I wanted to hear. Mhm. And now I'm trying to really hear what people are actually saying. Mm, that's good. Because my, my husband's grandfather, who, who passed right after we married, used to say that if you listen long enough, people will tell you exactly who they are. Mm-hmm. And I think that that is a really interesting quote, and I repeat it a lot, and they do. And so when I'm interviewing people or meeting with people, I think it's impossible 
to separate life and, and work. I think all of those things bleed into one another. Yeah. But I think the people yep. who understand being present and being able to be complete in one aspect or the other when it's time to be there, you know, we really focus a lot on that. Mm-hmm. So that's yeah, awesome. Trying to listen. So just be, so it's nothing like, oh, I'm going to use these tests and these, like, it's just be a good, like, listen. Well, I don't know about you, but I find that when we're interviewing, you know, my employees and I find are so smart and there's so much material out there that they, I mean, I've been in interviews where people know exactly what to say. Yeah. And they ace the interview because they know what's prescripted or whatever. And so, you know, we've kind of learned what red flags to Mm -hmm. sort of look for. Um, And our core values at this point for our company are consistency and stability which, you know, in the hair world or in the creative world are not very sexy words, but ultimately you can be as creative and crazy and fun as you want to be. But if work isn't consistent or stable or you aren't consistent and stable, you Mm -hmm. can't be the best that you can be. Right. For your clients. So do you find that... Work on one another because our our barbershops are really team focused. Yeah. So the teams hold one another accountable, right? And if they've got someone who isn't pulling their weight or can't show up on time, which is a huge thing for our business because our clients are professional men and being on time is very, very important to them. Uh-huh. You know, we find that those sort of just basic sort of professional skills are really important. Gotcha. So as far as like the culture um, is it like what you would expect when you walk in there that there's sports going on and like you keep the updated magazines? Like do people actually watch TV and look at magazines or do you find that like in the day and time that we live in now, like are they constantly on their phones? Yeah, well, I think it depends on on the location, right? But, you know, in my in my shops that are sort of, I don't want to call them old, but established, right? They've been open for nine plus years. You know, we really have community. And I think, you know, people walk in and they see their neighbor or they see their friend or they see their coworker. Or, I mean, my my favorite moments are when six-year-olds, right, are sitting in chairs and they're like, hey, Bobby, you're in my class or you're on my football team. Um, So so you do kids too. Oh, yeah. Tons of kids. Tons of kids. And we love kids because – you know, in some of our established locations, right, we met someone when he was 12 and now he's graduated from college and he's back in Nashville and now we see him as a young professional and we have these relationships, right, with with the client and with their families. And, you know, I mean, clients email us, you know, we had a client who passed away, an older gentleman who'd been sick for a while and, and his son emailed us to let us know, to be like, you know, it's you know, I just want you to know my dad, you know, passed away and won't be seeing him, but you know, we become part of people's lives. And I think that's awesome. You know, and I would say that one of our locations is near a lot of corporate headquarters and it's a lot of people who are new to Nashville or new to the South or, you know, here for big corporate jobs and they're very, very busy and they're very, very stressed. And we understand that. And when they walk into uncle, we want them to know that we want to take care of them. 
Mm-hmm. And so if they want to be on their phone, that's cool. If they want to read a magazine, that's cool. But I think after a while, if people keep coming back, right, for that repeat business, for that repeat relationship, they feel like it's 30 minutes of their life where they just get to relax. And, and you have, you provide that environment. I think so, yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. And I, I think my staff, right, that they come to work for us because they have the freedom and the flexibility to really have the time and the ownership of that client experience. That's awesome. So did you just kind of figure that out? Because again, going back to your own husband's experience, you're like, I'm going to fix this. Or do you guys currently survey or ask your gentleman clients, like, what do you want? How can we do better? Um, Because I I feel like that's one thing that us women, we think we know what people want. At least this happens to me Um, because we do a lot of online sales. And then we A-B split test stuff or we actually ask our audience, which is like the simplest thing ever. Yeah. And then the things that they choose and the things they click on and the things they say, I'm like, well, shit, that's not what I would pick or that's not what I would like. Um, so how do you determine that? Like, are you constantly asking for feedback to making sure you're retaining your clients? Yeah, well, it's been great. So, you know, in the past, our feedback loop was pretty, I don't know, sketchy, maybe inconsistent. <laughs> That's a better word. Sketchy is the wrong word. Inconsistent, right? Um, cause it was all hearsay or, you know, the occasional Yelp review or the phone call, um, and you know, I mean, the most, the angriest or the, the, when people are angry, they love to give feedback. When people are really happy, they don't always love to take the time to give feedback. Um, but now our point of sale system proactively sends out NPS rankings, so net promoter score. Um, so I like to laugh that we're like the only barbershop, you know, who's got a net promoter score ranking where we are every That's time. Awesome. Some. Yeah, it, it, I laugh, right? I'm like, we are totally on it. We're corporate, but we're not corporate. But look, we've got an MPS ranking. And so, you know, we send those out. The system sort of has an algorithm to when you get one. Um, but yeah, my, my point of sale is, is sending out, you know, rank us from, you know, zero to 10. Tell us how we did. And so it's been really fascinating, Angela. That's been in place now since about March of this year. Oh, it's not, so that's new. Okay. It is. It's, it's relatively new. And it's really a passive way to get feedback. Because again, most of my clients are super busy and they don't want to interact with us in between haircuts, right? They want to come in and they want to get their haircut and then they need to go on with their lives. Yep. So hence why social media is such an interesting thing for us to sort of talk about or figure out because most men don't want to look at pictures of other men's haircuts. That's, you know, right. they want to look at cars and their other passions, but you know, a haircut isn't, they're not always shopping for a new style like maybe you and I are. Um, And so the net promoter score has been really interesting. And, you know, yes, the feedback, a lot of it aligns with what we think we're doing. And most of it really brings us back to basics, right? So my whole goal as we continue to grow because we're going to be opening our eighth location, hopefully by the end of the year. That's amazing. So you got to back up and like, so you you got you had you were approached and and you did this investment thing. You didn't think too much into it. You're like, I'm just it feels right in the gut. I'm gonna take a leap of faith. This is supported in our business model and our business plan. So how did you go about locations three, four, five, six, seven, and how did you decide to do eight? I mean, for those of you who are not in Nashville, like it is 
crazy growing. And even though in this day and time, you're like, oh, we're going to come into another recession. And I'm like, yeah, but in Nashville, you know, they say there's a hundred people a day moving here. And like, I mean, I grew up in Mount Juliet, which is 30 minutes from here. And now it's like one of the fastest growing hotspots. Yeah. And I used to have two houses out there. I wish I kind of probably, they'd probably be worth a whole lot more. But when all that growth started coming in, I'm like, I'm going to get the hell out. If I'm going to be in busy, I'm going to be in the city where I'm centrally located for our clients so that I'm close to the airport and right. I'm close to some of the venues. And so being in the city and avoiding traffic was super important because of time. And it you can only do so many conference calls and phone calls and Zoom calls in the car with traffic. And then you have to dodge everybody else who's like multitasking on their phone, which goes back to you realizing that you've got to be a local community barbershop for people to want to come because they don't want to go that far. They're not like us women who I used to drive three and a half hours to get my hair done because when I was at school at UT, yeah, I love the guy there. Yeah. yeah. Men would never flip and do that. Never. No, no I met and a student so, at Vanderbilt years ago who was from Singapore was from Singapore and he's like, I only go to Singapore to get my hair cut. I'm like, well you what? that is awesome and that is the exception. I mean, most people were like, Look, I have twenty minutes, I need a haircut, I pop into XYZ right? It just, there wasn't more thought around that. So yeah, I mean, we are certainly looking at markets in town. Like you said, I mean, and Mount Juliet is on our radar because it's a community where families want to be. And our core market really has um, evolved, right? So our favorite customer is, you know, or are, is a family, right? Who are committing to their community, wherever that may be in middle Tennessee, um, they're buying a home or they're committing to the schools um, and they're be- because we found, right, our business is better and your experience is better when we see you all the time. So if we see you once every six months for a haircut, you know, your haircut isn't that great and you don't think that our environment is that great because you don't really know us. But if we see you and your family every month, we know that your son wants a Sprite and then he wants a lollipop and we know that you want to read a magazine and you don't really want to talk a lot and we just... <laughs> We know you, right? Yep. And that that is a better experience for everyone involved. And, you know, my business is, is built on repeat business. So we are actively looking at communities that are growing and where people are committing to to be because traffic is so bad. They're not leaving as much. So our newer locations are sort of in suburbia. Um, we opened in Nolansville a couple of years ago. And, and for, for those of you that's, you know, sort of this country town that people were like, what on earth are you doing? Yeah. Um, but it is the new frontier and people are working from home and people are around more often. They're not commuting. And yep. so you have these sort of vibrant micro communities. I don't know if even that's a thing, yeah. <laughs> uh, but people want to live, work and play in their community and the local barbershop, the Mayberry barbershop is you know, very much part of that experience from what we found. So we love it. So yeah, going to eight was not the plan, right? We've had opportunities all in our laps. I mean, the best ones, Angela, you'll laugh. The best opportunities that we've had are the ones that come to us when we least expect it. And when I go purposely looking for a new shop to put somewhere, it is far more difficult. So it's kind of this, I don't know, push and shove of having an area identified of where we'd love to be and then being patient and waiting yeah. for the right spot or waiting for the right timing because as you know, timing is really important for everything. Mm-hmm. So when you go into a new market, are there any 
secrets or anything that you can share? Like, do you do the old traditional, like purchase a list of all the zip codes and you do mailers or do you do Facebook targeted ads so that people see it by their zip code and income level? Do you have a marketing strategy for each time you go in to any market? Well, it depends. So we have a store that just opened in Hendersonville, which is north of Nashville. And, you know, like I said, hyper local, right? So we are the anti, like I told you I was not tech savvy. And when I mean, <laughs> we are so old school and people laugh all day long, but we become really active in the chamber of commerce, right? I mean, small towns, small chambers, really active people who are super excited about making their communities better. Uh-huh. Um, we love um, participating in, you know, the rotaries and the soccer tournaments and the high schools, right? I mean, so the yearbooks, right? Every high school still has a yearbook, a printed yearbook. And we had a bunch of kids in the other day for a photo shoot for their yearbook. And it's that kind of stuff that I, love. I just, right, people, I mean, no one has, everyone I tell that to is like, oh, that's, it has great positive memories for a lot of people. And so that's, yeah. that's kind of what we're going for, right? Is the football program and sponsoring the football games and the baseball team and the drama club, right? I mean, you name it, the band. Um, we want to be part of your community because that's my business. Now I get it. You know, I'm not a tech company or with an online presence, but you know, we have been very clear about who we are and defining and making that even, you know, more defined. Do you find that your employees also live within that local community? And is that something you look for to help strengthen the relationships within the shop that they live in the community? Like, do you feel like that's important? Well, it's helpful, but unfortunately, most of my employees do not live anywhere near where they work. Um, really? So people, that's oh, interesting. Yeah. I've got people driving an hour all over the place to get to work. Um, just because of for, you know, housing around where our shops are is, you know, anything but affordable. So people are coming in from all over the place, but I think they're learning that even though they may not live in the communities where they work, they become part of the communities where they work. So, especially when you've been there for a while and you know, the community members, I mean, I would tell you my employees know more about what's going on in their neighborhoods than, than I ever will. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right? Because they hear about the high school plays and what's going on with this and that. And, you know, people really are proud of their community. And I think the people moving to Nashville, right? I'm really proud of the Nashville community, greater Nashville community, because that word continues to come up, right? You yeah. know, I, I, I talk to people in elevators and freak people out all the time. Oh and, and yesterday I tried to say hi to a woman walking out of Kinko's and she totally blew me off. And I almost wanted to turn around and be like, I just said, hello, what is your problem? <laughs> but I love that feel. I'm, I'm proud of being part of the national community because we have that, that sort of old school kind yeah. vibe. So we really promote that at the barbershops. Yeah. I had a client's mom recently. Um, you know, I work in a, a lot of emotional money spending. Yes, you do. <laughs> uh, a lot of work. And so I had them in this, this large luxury wedding that we recently had. Um, oftentimes we work with families where, and, and it's kind of the same thing. And actually EO taught me this is like, 
think about life cycle clients. Like you can do a wedding, then you can do any event for this family and they trust you. And you're not just trying to take their money. Like you give them an experience. <clears throat> and so this mom, sometimes we have families where we work with extremely, extremely wealthy old money. And then you have people that have new money, but it's a different way of life. It's a different conversation. I didn't grow up in that environment, but I have learned to adapt. And so she looked at me, this mom, and they come from, you know, newer money. And the groom's family was like the old money. And I could just see how they were treating each other. And I'm like, money shouldn't define like how you treat people. Um, but that's unfortunately kind of what was happening. And so after it was all over, I kept telling her and there, were, there was lots of tears and lots of therapy oh, that I feel like okay. I had to go through. But after it was all, and I kept telling her, I'm like, it's going to be fine. Like, I promise you that you can cry and vent. It's going to be beautiful. It's going to be perfect. <clears throat> Trust me. Yeah. But this is normal. But one thing she said to me, she's like, Angela, sometimes like, I don't even know what you're saying to me because I can't think. And, and sometimes people won't remember what you say to them, but they will always remember how you make them feel. And you have a loyal client for life when you yeah. make them feel good and that they are heard, whether it's hair, makeup, feelings, <laughs> you know, so it's like creating that community and that experience, like your families remember that. And that's why they come back to be kind. Um, so yeah, well, I mean, unlike you, right. So we talk about, you know, transactional, mm -hmm. um, you know, interactions or transformational, right. And we, yes. you know, we see clients on any given Tuesday. We also see clients in the same space you do, right? We see mm -hmm. them for weddings and we see them for funerals and we see them for I'm having a new baby or we're taking family portraits or, you know, big, big life moments, interviews, um, new jobs, you know, people want to look really good. So we may catch you on an average Tuesday. We may catch you on a, a large life event. Um, but, you know, sometimes those average Tuesdays aren't going great either. And the best feedback I think we get is like what you've said is when you've been able to take someone and meet them where they are and just have a, a real human moment with them, regardless of what business you're in. I think that's really appreciated and not talked enough about that people are really important and technology kind of disconnects us from real life. And in your business and in my business, it's, it's very much real life. And it's, yeah. it's emotional and, you know, we had a gentleman who had terminal cancer and, you know, asked his barber to come to his hair at his funeral. And Aww. we, you know, I mean, and talk about just, you know, stopping in your tracks and we yeah. all, we all cried. Right. And how do you, how do you do that? And the barber, I mean, I told her, I'm like, Katie, I don't, I don't really know how <laughs> you're going to do that. And she goes, you know, I have to, yeah. I have to, I don't, she goes, I don't want to, cause I don't really want to remember him like that, but I owe it to him, right? He's been my client for years and we've gone yeah. through the journey together of him being so sick. And I told him that I would do it and I'm going to keep my word and I'm going to go do it. And, you know, those are the things that aren't glamorous and, yeah. but they're real. And I'm proud to have a real business where we talk about real things and we try to make every day better for yeah. whoever we're with. That gives me chills. <laughs> well, like it's, it's just, but that's how much people are connected. 
Um, and I think I've asked you this before, like the Daymaker. How yes. were you? He, I, I'm, I met him at. He was speaking at an EO event. Yeah. And it's funny because I thought he was going to teach me how to get all my work done during the day ah! because, yeah, because I don't read any of that shit. I'm like, oh, this is a 7 p.m. event, not 7 a.m. event because a lot of our events are in the a.m. And I'm like, right. I work till three and four in the morning. So I was like, I can't do that. I mean, you know, I roll into board meetings like literally. <laughs> it's like I have brushed my teeth, but not brushed my hair. And so it's like, but I went to it and it wasn't about your work at all. It was about how he has owned these salons and he makes people's day and how he makes people feel. And my dad at that time had just gone, got cancer. It was diagnosed with throat cancer and he had gotten, I think it was bone cancer and like documented his whole experience about how his team in the salon took care of him and how they got him to the best doctors and doctors in Hawaii where he was living with his family told him he was going to probably die soon. And he's like, I'm not ready to die. Like I have more to do in my life and I'm making a difference, but it's almost like him being sick and the support group and him fighting what the doctors originally told him is such an inspirational story. And it goes back to like the why and what you're creating yeah. for people and, um, and he's, he's not, um, a productivity whiz, but he is the day maker. He makes people's day. And now he's a speaker and goes around and speaks about it. And I love that. Um, and, well, and there's always a balance, Angela, right? Yes. <laughs> you know, and that's the tricky thing. I mean, I know, right. My job satisfaction comes from interacting with my clients at the barbershop. Um, yep. technology very rarely gives me job satisfaction, right? As a means to an end. And there's a lot of hours spent with numbers and accounting and finance and blah, 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 that you have to do to run a business. Um, and yep. so there's a balance there, right? But I know it would be very difficult for me to go back to a job or a career where I wasn't working with the actual client um, yeah. to see the end result, right? That that you're right. I mean, having the opportunity, whether no matter what business someone works at, right? And I think that too, that goes back to the failure piece, right? Is that you know you can be very transparent and real with people when you create that environment. Um, that safe space, right? And that you can own your failures and you can own your successes and you can share them with people and just encourage people, right? That, that it is hard, you know, having a business is hard. It is, it is challenging every day and it's also really, really rewarding. And so those are the silver linings and those are the, the things that I love about my business. And I'm sure you love about yours when you can get it right. Yeah. Well, and, but I've loved this because it's like failure's okay. Like you're going to learn from it and you're never going to stop learning, especially if you're an entrepreneur or business owner. Like if you stop learning to me, it's like air dead. <laughs> like, no, I told myself, I'm like the second I stop failing, uh -huh. I have it all figured out. I quit. Yeah. And, like, and no what? one has it figured out. No, no, one. no nobody does. And it's like you own it and you own it with your, your team. And I feel like that's one of, again, that sense of community and not acting all perfect. Like the people who are like know-it-alls and they're, I'm like, I can't even be around you. <laughs> like, no, I, just, I, mean, I I'm appreciative of uh, an entrepreneur environment and a friend environment that says, is, is this not working? Like, it's hard. Like, let's find joy. Joy. It's a word I use a lot anymore. Let's find joy and camaraderie in the stuff that's broken 
and not working. And let's find a way to laugh about it and support one another through, through those things. Right. But yeah, there's not a lot of shiny glitter unicorns in my world and I don't make any pretenses (laughs) about that. And so when people are like, Oh, you've got it all figured out. I'm like, Oh yeah, you have not seen my house right now. It is a hot mess. So, you know, one day I will live in a magazine, but you know, right now I don't. So I've got, you know, two young children and my house is a mess. And we have just found that, you know, I like to say that if we laugh more, that is what is most important. Absolutely. Absolutely. I love that. Well, thank you so much for your time today. Like where can people check you out if they want to know more about Uncle Classic Barbershop? Yeah. uh, So I am learning to be social um, (laughs) online. I love it. So... Right. Yeah. I think I got the face-to-face stuff sort of, you know, I'm getting better at that, but the social stuff we are working on. So we're at Uncle Classic Barbershop on Instagram. And I think, you know, I'd love for folks to check out our page and to send me a message about what you like and what you don't like, because our social media feeds and Angela, this is where I have not gone to a class or best practices are a lot of images of what we do every day in the barbershops. So it's not shiny airbrushed haircuts. Um, it's a lot of team building. It's a lot of celebrating successes with my employees. Um, so would love folks to sort of understand who are in that world, you know, what they love, what they'd love to see more of, um, you know, what is really, what do people really want to be part of? That's awesome. And for those of you listening who are in Nashville or you're visiting Nashville, you've got Brentwood, Bellmead, Bellevue, Cool Springs, Hendersonville, Hillsborough Village, maybe Magically in the future. <laughs> and that, that, that's, that's a long story. We tried that. We'll be back. Uh, <laughs> Nolensville and then the new, the new store that hardly has been announced at all will be in Spring Hill. Spring Hill. That place, yeah. it's booming up there. Like Boom. booming. That's amazing. Yeah. So yeah, guys, go over and check out the um, the Instagram and DM Amy. I love how you're asking for feedback and suggestions. Again, that's one of the simplest things we've learned is just ask for feedback and ask your audience. You're not going to make everybody happy, but it's good to know where what people are doing and what they're thinking so that you can at least try to customize your social channel yeah, or, you know, Angela, what I'd also love too are like suggestions um, and messages about other Instagram feeds or things that I should check out that really balance the aspirational aspect of social media yeah. and the feeling behind it, right? Because I think that's what I struggle with with social media is the shiny yeah, um, balanced with the real and who I would love to know feeds that, that the audience thinks are done really well to balance those. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, we're out of time today. So thank you so, 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 so much. And everybody who is listening, be sure that you are subscribing to Business Unveiled so you get those little notifications so you do not miss any juicy details of all the sharing and all the stories that we share here at Business Unveiled. I hope everybody has a great day or night. Thank you. (laughs) You are so welcome. All right. See you soon. Bye, everyone. If you found this podcast helpful, please share it with your friends. And I'm so very grateful if you leave a review. Be sure you are a subscriber so you never, ever miss the juicy details of Business Unveiled. Also, be sure that you are part of my email list. And if you're not, 
Sign up today at AngelaProfit.com, where I share valuable resources and exclusive products with only my subscribers. Now, before I go, I want to ask you, if you have a story or a product to share with the creative industry, please let me know. To be considered as a guest on Business Unveiled, visit AngelaProfit.com and submit a podcast guest form. Until next time, remember to stay productive and profitable. You've been listening to Business Unveiled with Angela Profit. Join us next time as we share our experiences to help you be more productive and profitable in your creative business. For more great resources, visit AngelaProfit.com.